Hey, watch this episode on YouTube. Two dudes watch cartoons. Two dudes watch cartoons. Two dudes watch cartoons. Two dudes watch cartoons. Yeah, 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 yeah. And Madeline. <laughs> that's right welcome back to another episode of two dudes watch cartoons and madeline uh today uh well sorry sorry uh my name uh, the pot i'm all mixed up here welcome back the podcast where two dudes watch cartoons that's us i've totally flubbed it my name is alex <laughs> and my name is evan and uh as you've heard already today we were joined by one of my good friends madeline horwath fellow cartoonist for the New Yorker, we, uh, we've been pals for a long time. And uh, I don't know when or why or how, but connected over the movie that we're covering uh, today. Before we dig into that, just want to do our quick shout out up top about the writers and actors strike going on in Hollywood right now. Uh, writers strike is going on nearing 100 days, so a little over <laughs> three long. months um, so if you want to donate to the entertainment community, you can do so at entertainmentcommunityfund.org. Uh, uh, but Madeline, thank you so much for joining us. What? How did you guys connect over this movie? That's my first question. Let's start there. Where, what's everyone's history with this movie? It was I connecting over this or the Eagles. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how it came up. Maybe one of us posted something about it on, on, um, our stories Wait, or something was it did i post uh did i post like this or something oh. honestly it might have been i'm uh, gonna start it, crying right here and right now <laughs> if you're if you're not watching the youtube madeline has the the tin uh the the fruit candy tin from, from the movie which we're covering today which, yeah <laughs> this is our daily reminder to go watch our youtube okay yeah. so holy crap i don't even know we've said it yet it's called grave of the fireflies it is by uh studio ghibli mm -hmm. famous renowned and just to uh piggyback on part of evan we have started to, we're transitioning we're gonna not really try to cover anything that's being uh you know uh, that's from a struck company at this time so part of the reason we're taking a look back this film's from 1988. Mm -hmm. it came out the same year as totoro <gasps> Wow. Oh, fun yeah. fact. Wow. So very different just like, vibes. Yeah. Well, yes. <laughs> very different vibes. But they're like, they're like, bang, bang. We got a lot of hits this year. Um, that's uh -huh. crazy. I'm not even alive. Like, uh, the, it's crazy to me to think about things that like happened before I was alive. I don't really have context for them. Mm -hmm. But um, I've never seen this film. I've heard of it like briefly, not like anything major. I heard it was a great film. Um, I just finished watching it maybe like 30 minutes ago. And I spent the last, you know, 25 minutes crying. So I am um, excited to talk about this, excited to hear what you guys think. Holy crap, what a movie. Normally we just normally we come in here and like crack a bunch of jokes, but that almost feels like I don't know I can do that right now. I'm in mourning. I can. Yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> that's why you're here. That's what we need. Yeah. <laughs> Madeline, when was the first time you recall encountering this movie? Um, I ignored about for a while. Uh, high school, my friend group was anime club. So, of course, you know, that movie was known. And I was like putting off watching it. And then finally, I think sophomore year of college, I watched it. And mm -hmm. uh, 
yeah, I I had the typical reaction just when it was lost. Oh, yeah. yeah. High school was probably the first time I watched as, as well. I was uh, with a couple buddies. We were like going through the, the Ghibli catalog, you know, maybe watching Oof. one a weekend or something. And it's like, my neighbor Totoro, fun. Yeah. Howl's Moving Castle, yippee. <laughs> and then Grave of the Fireflies. Uh, so if you're not familiar with this film, if you can't tell by our vibe and, and just <laughs> general listlessness in, in introducing this movie, it's super depressing movie. It's about two orphans in Japan in World War II. And that's like sort of the weird roundabout thinking that led me to suggest this movie. People are talking about Oppenheimer. That's, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, yeah. in the zeitgeist right now. And particularly there's that discourse about the scene where they're deciding on what cities to bomb. And, and I think both of you have have seen it, but mm -hmm. uh, that particular piece of dialogue where um, people have different or different reactions to uh, the scene where the guy's like, oh, you know, that's, that's where we vacationed or something. Yeah. Along those lines. That, goes, that, that was where that we honeymooned. Mm -hmm. that that's actually based off that did happen that was uh don't know what his name was henry stimpson and mm -hmm. they were talking about places to bomb and someone said suggested kyoto and this man henry stimpson said absolutely not uh no he was the secretary of war you know it's a culturally so significant and they chose hiroshima because it was seen as like in a military town it was industrial uh and then nagasaki was not i mean hiroshima should never have happened but nagasaki was not supposed to happen it was mm. uh yeah some some soldiers going rogue that's but crazy yeah. i didn't i i actually think the line evan's talking about in the movie though where he uh he goes we have an a list we have a list of 11 cities excuse me yeah 10 i took kyoto off the list because that's where me and my wife honeymoon yeah to mm -hmm. me that's that true. was like the soul of the movie if i'm being honest like mm -hmm. the callousness of war and like the destruction that they're on bringing and the total like blind yeah. eye they've sort of turned to it mm -hmm. um i that that line in the movie like struck me like a like a gut punch like i was like oh i was like oh man and in all honesty take that feeling that vibe and, and bring it on over here because this man just like the horrors of war and also there's just so much like like i, I don't even know I, i'm fresh off it so i'm trying to like melancholy optimism rooted in like nothing's gonna work out but at the same time you know the older brother site he's like doing everything he can to keep the the vibes up if you will mm. oh and it's, it's so rough oh my gosh and it's actually based off true story shut up uh what? it was yeah uh obviously the guy was it uh saitama the older brother saita, saita and uh uh oh, setsuko no. setsuko yes oh setsuko is the, is the little girl. Uh, sister oh because i remember her going saito i have some food for you and i'm just like oh god um <laughs> no the the man oh who gosh. wrote grave of the fireflies and insert an apology to his young sister who did die of malnutrition and they were orphaned so god yeah damn. there's damn. all these elements 
on top of one another within Grave of the Fireflies that really speaks to true stories, Japanese, like, social norms, mm. wealth disparity, because mm. a lot of the victims of, say, I totally forget, the, I forget the name of everything, but, like, survivors of Tokyo firebombing, the uh, homeless who, as a result of firebombing and the atomic bomb, were outcasts of Japanese society because, one, they didn't know that radiation poisoning, if we're talking in terms of the atomic bomb, they didn't know that radiation poisoning was not uh, uh, contagious from person to person. You can only get from the direct shores. But with the fire bombings, you know, these people don't have their houses. They're badly burned. They're a reminder of the loss of yeah. the war. Oh, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so it's yeah, kind of that reminder of the loss of the war. Like they and yeah. what, like you said about like Japan's societal norms, jumping ahead a little, but like his aunts, like you lazy, no for good. Like you're not out helping, providing like, why should we keep feeding you like that shit hurt, but mm. like you know, not saying she's wrong. Like you know, if you're gonna, he can't just like he's not if he's not going to school. But like it still was like he just went through this huge loss. Anyways, just to that's to- actually I'm gonna interrupt yeah. and just say that Please. actually brings about a good point of the differences of reactions and sort of the cultural divide between Japan and uh, the West, the U.S. Because a lot of Japanese audiences size that Saito being admirable for getting up and leaving and taking care of uh, his sister. Whereas, you know, the typical American saying, just do the work. Yeah, mm, that's interesting. Yeah. Cause I, that was like so tragic to me. It was yeah. like a really f- first class look at almost like how someone becomes homeless. Cause you know, you always have like, you run through like, man, they don't have any family or like no one they could stay with. And it's a lot of times, and especially veterans and wars, this is how it, it comes to pass sometimes. And so it was it, the whole thing, start to finish, brutal. But man, it was so beautifully told, animation mm-hmm. style, and just like, yeah. I don't even, I don't even, the music, you know, yeah. the music really helps it. But like I said, they were able to find like such small bits of happiness and optimism in literally like the, the roughest situation life can bring. Yeah, let me just preface the plot real quick, <laughs> succinctly, so people know a little bit if they idea. haven't seen the movie yet. Because uh, it is sort of a difficult movie to talk about, not just because of yeah. its contents, but just the vibe. Uh, yeah. So, uh, in the final months of World War II, 14-year-old Saita and his sister Setsuko are orphaned 14. when their mother is killed during an air raid in Kobe, uh, Japan. After falling out with their aunt... They move into an abandoned bomb shelter with no surviving relatives and their emergency rations depleted. Saita and Setsuko struggle to survive. Uh, this is short selling like the 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 re- the reveal of all of these plot points. You know what I mean? Like sure. we don't yeah. find out that the mother is dead for a while. At first, she's just we we think she's somewhere else, and then she's injured, and then we don't even really see that she died. He just is like. I need to hide this from her. Oh my God. Every huge reveal was done so fucking casually. It was like, wait, what? What did he just say? Oh God. It was good. I, I highly recommend this. I'm like in emotional turmoil. I'm so sorry. Go on. <laughs> and then remember, this came out the same year as... Uh... <laughs> 
Saxa King and her younger sister May, as they settle into an old country house with their father and wait for their mother to recover from an illness in the area hospital, she gets better. As the yeah. sisters explore their new home and encounter the fright, playful spirits in their house in the nearby forest, most notably mm. the massive cuddly creature known as Totoro. Same okay. year, same studio. All right, but ready? There's some themes that that uh, uh, are uh, co-aligning here. I do uh, very briefly. I do think you know the uh, the illness of a parent, children sort of uh, on their own, essentially uh, for a little, and then. Um, I, I'm curious what you guys think, but I think there's a little uh, 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 talk of spirits here, not like very directly, but towards the end of the movie. So I, I see a common through line, but man, tonally, totally different movies. There's yeah. also a what some people draws almost a sort of allude to uh, Satsuke and May, because remember the scene where, spoilers, uh, Satsuko dies. The scene where she dies in the bomb shelter, you see these two girls who are dressed in Western clothes overlooking uh, they like, sort of their view. They come back Yeah, and they're so happy. They're like, oh, it's good to be home. Put and on the record are... player. They're like dancing. Oh, I sorry. Go on. It was unreal. And that's because like. This man has the attitude of someone who just saw this movie. I know, I know. I'm so sorry. I'm so, I'm gonna keep interrupting. Uh, the reaction all is very raw. It I'm, is. It is. Yeah. Go on. Go on. Go on. Go on. I think it's probably why I didn't want to like watch it. I just kind of wanted to have all reflections and knowledge of the movie in context with it mm. as sort of an even plane. Mm -hmm. Um. So Alex, you're fucking this up. I know. I'm so sorry. That's usually what I do. I keep going. I apologize. You're you're making a beautiful point. I love it. Go on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, people address that as like, oh, it's like Satsuki and May, because they. A lot of people say it takes place at the same time to try to get away from the cities. I mean, even Hiroshima. I believe before the bombing, twenty three thousand children were evacuated from the city. Wow. Mm. So. So it's like people, a lot of people knew to leave the cities, but many people could not. Mm -hmm. And uh, that was just sort of that, that almost allude to Totoro that people suggest mm -hmm. was in Grave of Fireflies. And then she dies. Yeah, which, I mean, obviously this whole movie is sort of somber mm -hmm. and and just simmering with like profound despair and, and grief but it also uh i've i've seen the movie a handful of times and i i went back and watched it today and it still emotionally hits just as hard like and one thing i forgot is that it starts with saita dying in in the yeah. subway station and, and so yeah. it starts on that note and, and you sort of know Setsuko dies because they sh you know, sh show up in the spirit plane or, or whatever it is. And then you pr proceed forward with the narrative. That kind of makes me think of what this movie overall is. Cause I, it seems like a lot of it is a farewell to pride. Uh, mm. The writer is, you know, the one who wrote greater than fireflies wrote it as an apology to his sister it is a a goodbye story of what happens with the pride in the overall message. Because, you know, when it was announced that Japan has surrendered, 
Setsuko is still upset. How could the great empire fall? Mm -hmm. And he's still waiting for his dad, who's obviously perished. He's going off in pride to take care of him and his sister instead of listening to his aunt. And there's even moments where, you know, he was filled with this, but then when it's failed him, he is sort of a untouchable in the subway station. And you see him, you see him in sight to sort of be like that when they're playing on the beach and they find a dead body and Sykes just says, don't look at that. That was a person who had a backstory too. And it just seems like with the loss mm-hmm. of um, coming of war that you forget that you have to remind yourself that these are people. And that's mm-hmm. just what I'm thinking of. I is noticed just that. The consequences of pride almost, you know, losing war. I don't remember where I read it, but I was reading either a review or some analysis of the movie. And they're sort of saying like Saita kind of, what you were saying, uh, Madeline, is Saito rep- represents like the Japanese Empire at this time, like yeah. pride in Japan. Uh, uh, Setsuko is representative of like the old tradition, which is what Saito is trying to protect. Um, and there's like a third thing that I, I'm butchering and totally forgetting at this moment. So that sort of leads to the the demise of both of those things, and um, whether one blames Saito or not, like you could sort of see how that analogy tracks. Um, Alex, obviously you've had a very emotional reaction to this movie. Yeah. Uh, did, I mean, did I preface it at all? Like what were, well, I guess the comparison to Oppenheimer, I I made the connection as to the generality of what was going to happen. I didn't think it was going to be like a happy, fun, uh, you know, romp. So, Mm -hmm. but I just like, ah. You know, we're in this age where a lot of people are discrediting animation as just like a child's medium. Mm -hmm. And like stuff like this is like proving just further. Like every bit of detail was so beautiful from the animation to the story. It is something like I wouldn't even dare show a child. You know what I mean? And so I, I love watching things like this. It reminds me of why we started this podcast, in all honesty. Mm -hmm. And so. I think that I, while was ready for kind of generally what I was getting into, just not, I wasn't ready emotionally what I was getting ready into. Like I knew, I guess it could be sad, but uh, uh, I guess the, the, the method of which it was sad, kind of like you guys were talking about, like his pride is what got him in the way. And, and obviously all these unforeseen circumstances of the war, but he still has all this like faith and love for his great country, uh, uh, the empire of Japan. And so it, it's hard watching his little sister end up taking the fall. And another thing that really struck me is like, dude had 3000 yen still like, you know, in the bank, like he was trying to like ration it in the thought. I'm assuming that he thought his dad was coming home. Like mm-hmm. his sort of pride led to this like blind faith that really just led them both, both astray. It was really hard to watch. Cause like Evan said, at the beginning you see that he's like, you know, uh, uh, um, someone on the subway that no one even wants to bother with. And, um, I think it was for me, it just caught me off guard. You know, the sibling sort of, uh, vibe always gets me like having a younger sibling. Like there's many times, like, 
they just don't understand and you want to tell them like, no, this is just how it is. And you, you can't just be straight up with like a kid that that's that that's that is that young and finding out that Setsu Setsua is only 14 made it even rougher. I kind of thought he was like a little older, I guess, but mm-hmm. it, oh, shit hit hard. Every turning point, I was just like, no, I think the part that really got me, though, was when like they left their aunt's house. That was just like such an unfortunate falling out because it went from it, it was such a drastic turnabout too. It was like they were like, oh, thank God we all have great white rice again. Da, 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 da. And then the very next meal, they were like, can we oh, I'm tired of rice pudding. And she's like, we don't get any rice like it, it's mm-hmm. for the people that are working hard right now. Mm-hmm. It blows my mind that the people will oh. actually believe the U.S. propaganda that if the soldiers didn't go in, if they didn't drop, drop the bomb, it would have been a million U.S. deaths. And it was just like everyone was fucking starving there they were going through a famine people were eating grass they weren't gonna yeah. fight an american soldier mm. fresh mm. from yeah. san francisco Mm-mm. yeah um one of the things that i really appreciated about this movie watching back and it, it happens when they go to the aunt's house is like just a lot of the subtlety of of how this story is told like with the rationing of the rice uh, before they like say it outright they're eating dinner together they have rice porridge out of this pot yeah. uh and and um they have like the boarder at the house who's a, a guy working in a factory or something and the daughter also is contributing to the war effort they get like these big heaping scoops of, of rice porridge you can see the clumps of rice in it and then uh, Saita and Setsuko are given essentially just like the water from it. The broth. And you can yeah. see, you can see Saita's eyes like do a double take as he gets his like serving. And, and, and again, like so much of this movie is in these subtle moments. It's almost in like, I, I would call this a slice of life movie because yeah. it is yeah. really just about living during war times granted it's the most depressing grief-filled slice of life sort of piece of media or animation that i've ever consumed but it hits so subtly and so powerfully when i uh was even sadder for me was not when they just got the rice porridge from the ant because you saw that there was like oh, you can work and then get it. She gives you a way out is when they go to the doctor and he just offers a glass of water. That felt so much more helpless to me because that's all the doctor had. He didn't give any medicine. Every turn of this was like, I I really think the struggle for food is such an interesting one because it's obviously like such a basic necessity. But it also turns people like grumpy and greedy. You know what I mean? Like nothing will do it quicker than like food. It, it really messes with uh, your, your sense of like um, of like mine versus ours, if you will. Yeah. But it was just uh, so that was I mean, so, yeah, the first part, their first home gets bombed. It was brutal watching. the. Like I said, we saw his mother all bandaged up like a mummy. And then just in the next couple scenes, he was like, she's dead, but I can't tell uh, Setsua yet. Like, it, like, it was like, holy shit, just one tragedy after another. And then even we've talked about it now, but when she does end up dying at the end, 
all that we get of it is he just goes, she never woke up from that. And it's just like, oh, man, they really know how to, like, let a moment land in this, if that makes sense. Mm. Like, nothing ever felt rushed. I was really able to sit with, like, the the scene, the music, my emotions. Uh, I just I, – I was really impressed by this whole film. It was – like you said, it was very slice of life in that a lot of the details you have to pick up on your own just from visual cues or whatever – but man, I just uh, what a what a like you know it's a tragedy the whole time. It's like a slow car crash. I just couldn't look away. It was beautiful, but it was beautifully told. That's what is shit. I, I don't even. I, I'm at a loss for words. I'm like repeating myself at this point. I'm so sorry. It's amazing that when we say a slice of life movie, we think of sort of a banality, but a little comfort in it, and it's a completely mm-hmm. subjective term yeah a movie where someone loses his everything and his sister is a slice of life a movie where someone's whole family is like i don't know gassed in the chambers in auschwitz is for some people is a slice of life but like even with the movie being so somber uh there are these really joyful moments in it, really hope-filled moments in it. Like the first yeah. time when, uh, I think it's like Setsuko is asking where their mother is or like she just wants to go home and they're at the school still and they're like by a playground. And he just go he, he like sort of stifles a tear and then like jumps up on the whatever bar mm-hmm. thing and starts Monkey doing bar thing. Yeah, He like just makes this conscious decision that like he's going to be the caretaker for Setsuko, he's going to do anything and everything in his power to be her caretaker. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a, this like sweeping orchestral music. I don't know. It's like Alex, like you said, like a it's wa- like watching a slow car crash because you're really just watching these <laughs> yeah. two children slowly starve over the course of 89 minutes. Uh, yeah and like you said what's great is he has dedicated himself to like i'm gonna protect her at all costs he's doing it in like too prideful of a way as we've discussed mm -hmm. but he does manage to find those small comforts of life and i think it's most symbolically what represented in in the candy that they have the the hard candy in the container Mm -hmm. and what's so great about that is it brings them so much joy but just like everything else they have to fucking ration it you know what I mean? So they're doling out their happiness in in tiny bits over, you know, at their lowest moments. And then even so far to as to make the 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 rock candy tea, that was the moment I was yeah. just like, they're, I was like, man, they're at their lowest. They're still even at their mom's house or excuse me, their aunt's house at that point when they're making that tea. And I was just like, dang, they, I, I literally think I said like, they can't get any lower than this. And then it does. You know, you have Saksuka looking at us, and without any context of knowing the movie, you're like, oh, that's so cute. That's so happy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You're like, oh, that's adorable. Uh-huh. I wish I, you're, it makes people be like, I should see this movie. It's so cute. And then it's like, oh, no. Yeah, because she is Yeah, I wonder cute. if uh, this movie had as much merchandise as uh, Totoro. <laughs> oh, <laughs> like, yeah. if there were oh, uh, plushes. Geez. But so- um. Madeline, I wanted to ask, uh, was that candy tin at any point filled with candy, with fruit candy? It was. It was filled with those, uh, the fruit jars. Oh. Yeah. It was. A, awesome. it, Did you I love try that. making a tea with it? 
Uh, no, I don't really like hard candy. And I, so I just like kind of, they kind of like congeal into one thing and then I like dug them out. I like have a whole collection of these tins already. That happened too, though. Yeah. It happens with them. Mm. That happened in the movie too. The yeah. ones that congealed together. And it's, he, the animation in this is so good, especially with all the food, the candy, the water, the fire. I think the most beautiful little bit of animation was uh, when uh, Sesuka, I think she's already dead. So I think it's like a spirit or a ghost or a memory, but she's like sewing in their bomb shelter and she pricks her finger and the blood that wells up. I was like, that's the most beautiful animation I've seen in 20 years. Like, what the mm. hell? And this is old as, older than everything else we've been seeing. I just think it's the attention to detail is so good but also the payoff is so clearly worth it in my opinion my take watching that i haven't watched it in a while is that these are little vignettes of how she spent her time alone mm. in the bomb shelter while saito was out stealing food or doing whatever he could to just to get by um and it's again going back to this like sad but like hopeful thing it's like she sort of was leading a very full life like she you know as as bare bones and and mm -hmm. she found um, happiness and she in found the, it, yes that's a great way to put in it the bare bare bones of it all Ooh, that's good and it and, and that all happens over said uh uh needle drop where they play like where the two vacationing or girls returning home play uh play a record and then it it pans over to their little hill down the way uh, and it, it's like silent. You just have the music and these, these little vignettes playing for a couple minutes, just different things Setsuko did to fill her time there. Uh, and I, like, it, that part always part makes me movie. Well. Yeah. Yeah. That was probably my so favorite powerful. Part. Um, and that's another one of the things that I love about this movie. Um, I kept reading about what they call it but there's like a, a phrase for japanese words that are almost like filler words or i think they call them like pillow words and one of the reviews i was reading of this movie is that like uh the the director or what this movie does really well is like they they use different cutaways not like b-roll but like it'll cut to like a random shot of nature or frog swimming in a pond or whatever just like cut away real quick give you a brief pause change the scene and again it's just all these little vignettes of like the beauty within the the, the absolute tragedy of mm -hmm. the story unfolding mm. what is uh oh, sorry mads what's your favorite scene would you say i feel like favorite's so hard to 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 nail down here but what would you say your favorite scene is i think it was the end where their spears are just going and looking over a 1980s to like Tokyo, which is when Japan had its mm. economic boom. And that's the oh, one yeah. that gets me is I, I've always been, mm. I've always, I'm hit emotionally, not when the very sad part happens, but when they sign peace after it. And that is definitely mm -hmm. what got me in. Their tin is filled. The fruit drafts tin is full again. Oh, yeah. Oh. It'll be full forever for them. Oh, yeah. <laughs> How do you two read uh, the the moments where the narrative story itself sort of zooms out and you see Saita 
and Setsuko, I think, observing, like, it's like the red washed out scene. Uh, it's, there's, there's spirits in some sense, but what is your take on, like, is it, is it him viewing these moments where he could have done things differently or like, oh. how would you interpret oh, Interesting. I kind of thought the whole thing was, so in the subway in the beginning when he's like dying, I kind of thought his life was flashing before his eyes. Okay. Yeah. It's hard for me to truly, I mean, it's part of me that's just saying in this moment, I don't know. Uh, I think just because the whole thing is, yeah, the whole thing is just such an apology. I think he's just, he might just been tortured with how he did everything right, but it still went wrong. And for that, he's so sorry. He's 14 years old. Mm -hmm. And, you know, part of his pride, and I guess this is maybe what led me to believe he was a little older, is he's always wearing, like, a military uniform, like a a child soldier or like a soldier in training, if you will. And so, gosh, yeah, he just – I didn't catch it on watching how much his pride in the situation really was uh, the slippery slope for it all. He was like, we can do this on our own. We don't need no one. Right. And at one point, she's like, oh, she's like, I can find someone to adopt me if that'll be easier for you. And I was like, what? Jeez. I was like, no. <laughs> How do you? Oh, my God. She shouldn't uh, have to think about that at that. Uh, uh, oh, God. Well, I think he just wanted a world for the two of them. Like, I, you know, he loved his mom and his dad. Mm. But for everything, it was just the two of them. And then once... They were spirits. That's why I also like is he finally got it. He finally got it. It was just them in their personal heaven, which is what he was trying for the whole time. That is, yeah. Mm-hmm. Damn. Oof. Uh, personal heaven is a great way to put it. So we talked a little bit about the ants, who is in some way cruel. And, and maybe the ant was the other part of the metaphor of like, she's, she's not maybe representative cruel, of though. like. Yeah society or like the the structures or the social structures or something again i'm butchering whatever the metaphor was um but the other poignant scene that i've seen some discussion about is is when saita gets caught stealing food and taken to the police station and it's like one of the few in the latter half of the movie one of the few moments where he experiences some semblance of kindness yeah and you can feel the relief and you just want to Please, Mr. Kind Police Officer, like, take these kids in or something. Like, let's savor this they moment. Can't. But it sort of just goes back to their reality. It, yeah. It, I mean, um, it quickly goes back to their reality. When those, the <sighs> people, the man selling him the wood for the funeral pyre was just saying, like, it was like so casual, like, this will burn up the body real good. He was, it was just someone who was just so. He would have smile. When you're mm-hmm. selling, I mean, so I used to work at a children's clothing store and occasionally you get mm-hmm. parents who come in looking for something to bury their child in and it happens. I've been one of the mm-hmm. people doing that and you still, they're looking for something for their child and you still have to be a salesperson for it and you have to be honest like i this i mean okay uh uh, warning to the audience this is like gold star sad moment but there was a couple their infant son had died 
and they were looking for a suit and they said, oh, this suit is too small. And I had to be, I had to say, you need a bigger size because his body's going to swell up <sighs> and you just have to be a suit. Yeah, that's it was not fun day. My boss let me go home after yeah. that. I was just like, hey, hey, uh, Jen, uh, I just had to sell a suit to grieving parents. Can I go home? And she was like, yeah, yeah. it was not fun. Yeah. But, you know, you see with the aunt, the sales, the guy selling the wood, the cop, like, they just have to keep going and selling and doing it. And... You know, it's tragic, mm -hmm. but they just have to keep going on. So I get why the cops still apprehended him. I get why the salesperson was cheerful. I get why the aunt was frustrated. She is taking care of a whole yeah. family during a food shortage. And he was still acting yeah. like a... During a war. Yeah. And I'm sure for some other people... There's a lot going on. For some other people, Saito was very mm -hmm. selfish and he was probably cruel in someone else's eyes. No, they did a good job. There's no like downright out uh, evil stepmother in the thing. You know what I mean? Everyone's very justified. Evan and I are wannabe movie critics. We're also wannabe chefs. We're all doing more cooking at home now. If you wanna elevate your home cooking, you need nice tools to do it. Louis Kitchenware will get you there. They have beautiful stainless steel pans, nonstick bakeware, knives, all the stuff you need, safe, high quality materials, constructed to last, made in the United States, founded in Detroit. Moving into my condo, we got hand-me-downs. So this new Louis Kitchenware has been great and we love the discount. We wanna share that with our listeners. You can use code 2DUDES, that's T-W-O, DUDES, at louiskitchenware.com and that'll give you 10% off anything on the site. Check out our link in bio. So And we're back from that commercial break. So uh, <laughs> here to talk more about this tragically beautiful movie. I think something that um, if, if uh, I didn't fully get this point out, there was never like an evil stepmother. There was never anyone that was just downright debaucherous, mean, like just mean for the sake of mean. Like everyone was very, I don't want to say super justified, but like everyone's going through a very rough time. And it's very clear, and they, they depict that very well through the slice-of-life slice of details they throw in. This could mm -hmm. sound kind of weird. You know who was very objectively mean during that oh, time? Was yeah, the Japanese Imperial Army. Because you know what? Yeah, they they're the villains. <laughs> the thing that they were so proud of and protecting, and I'm not being like, Japan is the evil because they were the accidents, but like, the U.S. did awful things too. Hence the movie. But let's be real, like Imperial Japan, what they were really proud of was committing some of the worst atrocities. Yeah. Mm -hmm. in, like insury. Yeah. I, I think they were so what Nazis said, hey, cool it. <laughs> Germany surrendered and they were like, We will never surrender. Yeah. It was like, well, the war's over. They think... set Japan up to do that. They didn't brush on that in Oppenheimer, but basically they knew Japan would, sur like, would surrender, but they made it so Japan would not. And they said, unconditional surrender. We can do whatever we want. And they're like, oh, they asked unreasonable terms. Know. Yeah. And you, Japan would have had to agree to everything. And they're like, no. 
because mm-hmm. Germany didn't surrender under unconditional terms. Mm-hmm. Italy did. And so Interesting. Like, oh, yes, we got a drama. So they were set up for that. The most fucked up part of it all is like it wasn't one bomb. It was two bombs like and and here's something oppenheimer blew my mind because i was always i don't know if i was taught learned led astray i always was under the assumption the u.s dropped one bomb and was like surrender and japan was like never and then they dropped a second bomb and then japan was like okay we surrender i learned from oppenheimer their plan was to drop two from the jump they were gonna Mm -hmm. drop two bombs so actually this it is because of uh, Batman, which was the bigger bomb, but it was just carried out so poorly. It had a smaller explosion. Batman was supposed to be the, the big the one. The big one. And Truman Hence had no idea about dropping. And yeah, uh, named after characters from I think the Maltese Falcon. Oh, um, huh. But it was because of that that the president has. Uh, the final say of like all attacks and bomb droppings. It was after that because mm. it was just a bunch of wrong fuckwads who were like bunch of frat boys. Uh, actually, yeah, I've been reading on some of the stuff that U.S. soldiers did during the war, and I'm just this, like, it was very much Jeff like USA, USA. Yeah, yeah that's some it false branding there. Awful. Uh, yeah, awful, <laughs> awful atrocities. Our what? boys and. I don't mean to laugh at awful atrocities, but you're right. It's, it's, yeah, I laugh. So, I got a bad laugh meter. I'm sorry. <laughs> Since we're on the topic, one of my main takeaways from the movie Oppenheimer is that I really enjoy movies of scholars at university running around in their little vests and scribbling on chalkboards. Like What's that really one? <laughs> uh, theory of everything, <laughs> like beautiful oh. mind, like any movie <laughs> like that. If there's a fucking chalkboard in the 50s or 40s or whatever. Imitation game. Okay, I just realized something amazing. Uh, Yes, Robert Oppenheimer, brilliant math and physics genius, teaching at UC Berkeley, built blondes, forgets to eat. You know who fit all those categories, too? Ted Kaczynski, the bomber. Strangely, both remembered for bomb ings that yeah. they had does, committed. Does that make Oppie the duo bomber? Yes. Oh no. <laughs> He's the skinny bomber. Oh god. Ooh, it's not funny to laugh at <laughs> such horrible things, guys. I'm talking to myself. Um. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Okay. So, I I do think that is something I do. I don't know if others do, but when I get like extremely uncomfortable, all I can do is laugh. So I. Yeah points out and shame people who laugh that's fine please do i'm not ashamed of myself for laughing at at a bomber yes it's bad it's bad yeah i i for real i laugh i think i laughed out loud uh at the 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 kyoto line uh in in api just because it because of the callousness of it like oh i feel like that was the intention I said, the scene, oh, not to make loud. you laugh. Yeah, I, said, I don't think oh. it's meant to make you laugh, but it's supposed to no, yeah, make I it feel cold and disconnected and, and, and like so far removed of like the horrors and realities from it. Um, yes, that line is like the tippy top of it. And like this movie, Grave of the Fireflies, is like in the weeds of the of the decision on the mm-hmm. other end. It's just in. Yeah. 
It's, and it's, that was my a, fucked up logic for suggesting this. <laughs> yeah, he said yes. uh, also, like Tokyo is a very culturally significant city. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um since we're on mm-hmm. it, we're we're gonna we're gonna dive right in. Like two bombs of that magnitude change like a country uh not only physically, obviously, uh, but like culturally, economically. Uh they're like is significant changes that happen over like a, a lifetime, if you will. And um, I just think it is fucked up that anyone could do that to other human beings. Sorry. I'm just, I, it's insane. I'm like trying to calculate in my brain. And uh, that's why Oppenheimer was so, such a good movie though, is like, I don't even like at times he like didn't, he didn't, I really think he convinced himself like that bomb wasn't going to get used like from the jump. Yeah. And he, he refused to see any other signs. You know what I mean? It's fucked. Well, it's also he himself was trying to prevent because, you know, Vernon Heisenberg was, you know, first off, Vernon Heisenberg was the one Nazi German scientist to stay behind. He's like brilliant like the the heisenberg uncertainty principle is still a massive like one of the most famous yeah in mathematics but he was building it and oppenheimer's like he was so oblivious to news culture around him and then once he was like oh these nazis are killing jews he said oh i don't like that he's like oh maybe i do need to step up here right yeah um you guys want to hear a weird uh, tangent connection that I made in the movie Oppenheimer. So when I found out that Heisenberg was a Nazi, I like connected Breaking Bad and I was like, oh, that's, that's why the neo-Nazis seek him out in the end. They think he's a Nazi drug dealer because he calls himself Heisenberg. Heisenberg, he said in private to his wife that he absolutely detested Nazis. Oh, interesting. Uh, and they didn't make fun. So he was really loyal to Germany, and Germany used to be the scientific center of the world, and it was where all the great physicists, you know, were, they were in Germany, most of them. It was like Germany or France. Um, Then you got Niels Bohr in Denmark, who, uh, I wish they brushed up on Niels Bohr more in the movie Oppenheimer, because he is one of the funniest (laughs) dudes I have ever heard of. So they were trying to hide him in Denmark from the Nazis. And Heisenberg actually asked Niels Bohr, it's like, hey, do you want to help me work on the atomic bomb? And Niels Bohr's like, I'm Jewish. But apparently Niels Bohr... <laughs> great response, was, great response. He was so easily recognizable. One, because he had such a big head and so big that when they uh, smuggled him out of uh, Britain by plane, the helmets couldn't fit on his head. Oh, no. And two, he would just try to talk to everyone. He would be like... Hi, I'm physicist Niels Bohr, and if you do the air ones, where Leslie Groves had to personally chaperone him to Los Alamos. <laughs> wow. Heisenberg did not, he was not, like, Nazi, he was just very loyal to Jeremy, but he also was loyal to his own personal interests, mm. just like Walter White. Just he like Walter White. He didn't care who it hurt. It was more about Ooh. what he would be able to accomplish. And that is another parallel there. Interesting. I love that. I That's love still that one shit. I got to sit through the whole thing. I like, I, I caught. Heaven, the... I watched Breaking Bad with you. What are you talking no, about? You watched the finale with me, which is one of the few episodes I've seen. I get this weird. <laughs> 
I get this weird kick out of like I watched it live with you. Yeah, get like soaking in the emotional payoff of a series finale without like having invested in the <laughs> series. I don't know. It's like Just stolen valor contacts. for TV. Yeah. <laughs> yes, contacts. Yeah. Remember when this is like when in the part of season three when Walter brought that octopus. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Love that part. Yeah. Favorite scene. Yeah. The dialogue. Beautiful. Giant octopus. From and when the Bad. Nazi zombies come back, that was great, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I told you about that Finnish movie, Dead Snow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my There's gosh. Evan, I can't believe you just seen one of... Okay, never I've mind. Seen a few, That's not but I remember what we're talking about here. Um, you know what? We, we've we've moved very tangentially. I think we've covered a lot here. I would love to give everyone a moment to kind of give our closing final thoughts on Grave of the Fireflies before we move into like the reviews and we'll give it like a letterbox rating. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm happy to start unless anyone would like to uh, uh, take the lead here. Go for it. Okay, Grave of the Fireflies. What an emotional roller coaster I've been taken on this day. I, I, I guess I should have taken a bigger leap in logic when Evan was like, oh, Oppenheimer just came out. Maybe we should watch this movie. Like I said, knew it would be sad. I just didn't know it would be like it, like it's like if sadness and happiness are a, a step forward and a step backwards. It was literally always like, oh, a half step forward. Oh, four steps backwards, though. Oops. And so those little half steps of happiness, though, it was so surreal being able to watch people try to find happiness in the tiniest moments that at times I found this to be a a very optimistic movie, which is hard to say when it was just overall such a bummer in the best way possible. I enjoyed every minute of it, and I highly recommend this movie. If you haven't seen it, even if you've just heard us talking about it, I still think it's worth watching just to feel what we have felt and gone through here. Like, it, it is, um, you know, it, it is up there as probably one of the best Ghibli films I've seen. Yeah. Madeline, uh, do you want me to go, or do you want, do you want to go for it? You go. Okay. Um, I've seen this movie now, I want to say, three times in my life. Once in high school, once in college, and now once as an adult. It hits uh, as emotionally, forcefully each time. Uh, I, I knew full well going in the emotional turmoil that I was about to send Alex on. Uh, <laughs> I, what I didn't expect was for me to go on the same sort of emotional roller coaster again of watching this movie. Tripped um, and fell with me. This is on pretty much any uh, best animated films of all time list. USA Today, I believe, in 2018, put it at number one. Wow. Uh, it is a widely yeah. celebrated Ghibli film. I think it's important to note, directed by Isao Takahata. Um, I, I feel like a lot of times Ghibli sort of is syn- used synonymously yeah. with uh, Miyazaki, but this is one of their greatest films. Um, yeah, and, and, and like you said, Alex, it's just like, despite how sad and, and, and tragic this movie is, like there are these profound moments of, of joy yeah. and, and and hope uh, that make this movie worth coming back to, worth watching for a first time if you haven't seen it. Um, so... And now we're all sort of trauma bonded together. Like <laughs> exactly, it's, it's sort of this 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 thing. I don't, you know, Madeline. I don't remember how this movie came up, but like we both connected on the fact that like, oh, you've been through this emotional <laughs> ride as well. Like we, we're all sort oh. of 
connected. We've by both this been now. shot through the heart by this movie. Yes. Let's talk about it. <laughs> yeah. All right. Closing thoughts, Madeline. Uh, yeah, it's good. <laughs> no, okay. Uh... <laughs> well said. Yeah. <laughs> um, I like to think of the animation of why is a movie an animation? Why? What could not be accomplished mm. by having actors in a studio? And so why there's so many wartime films, films about tragedy and loss and... So why does this one work so well? It has to be an animation. And I think it speaks to the testament of the medium. There are some things that emotionally can be expressed so well through the stroke of a pen. Showing, if you show the spirits as the same medium as the slice of life moments, it all just melds together so harmoniously you don't notice the sort of cgi that's added in it's just all cohesive and mm. together and i this is one of the most all of ghibli is sort of a testament because it really combines imagination of uh, uh i guess uh celestial fantasy and human matters so cohesively and I think when people disregard animation they are completely disregarding what it can achieve I think this is one of the most amazing films to really showcase what is possible with 2D animation mm. and I'm, I'm sorry I'm going to say that I'm always going to prefer 2D drawings to 3D this bump mm -hmm. I love, I'm right there with you I, I totally agree I love the imperfections I love seeing a little mistake in early Simpsons. It adds heart. It's heart. It shows that there's people behind it. And maybe it will never get a comeback with 2D animation in the way, like, with film. Mm. But that's why I like movies, is you can go back and you see a great movie like Grave of the Fireflies, and it just gets better every time. Yeah. <sighs> Real, real really quick. Well said. Yeah, real quick on that thought though. Like, what what is amazing about this movie, specifically through the lens of animation, though, is that like they're animating. There's nothing, uh, say for like the spirit realm or whatever, but there's nothing have out this. of this world. Yeah. It's not like like a Spider Verse where there's all like multiverse, and you know you really couldn't pull this off without it looking like shitty CGI. Like they are just animating sort of the realities of life, and it is. It's incredibly beautiful. This I think does that really well. part of the the plus to it being animated is we're really able to, like, enhance those small moments of joy that maybe live action wouldn't have been able to catch the same. And I really do think that's, like, a big, strong point of the movie, a big theme throughout the whole thing. So I, I hadn't thought about, like, why make tell this story animated, but you're so right. And I actually think I'm going to have to – I'm, like – gonna start thinking about that more when i'm like grading these movies like why animated to tell this story i really like that Oof. this i got a review because it's just encapsulating what i'm feeling so well so we're gonna hop box go over a couple of letterbox reviews and then we'll give it a, a one out of five stars rating here so this one literally me 
it's uh they gave it five stars it just says in all caps hey yo what the fuck that's how i feel i'm like sad but also happy and excited to talk about this movie i'm a i'm a i'm a mixture of these hard candies right now oof so good Mm -hmm. um i have a five-star review here on letterboxd by sarah clements masterpiece never watching it again though (laughs) <laughs> yeah totally understand totally, totally understand I think, sarah, I think sarah should watch it again mm-hmm. i think she should too because i do I, it's something i i want to revisit because i think on a, not all movies but i think a lot of movies something can be really gained on a rewatch knowing where things are going what's important what and so if it's something you care about and like had an emotional impact on you i generally am a big pro rewatcher like i i think you i will- uh, i actually have a very funny story with the rewatch um mm-hmm. rewatching the robert zemeckis masterpiece who framed roger rabbit yeah beautiful film. and I was, I was like this is the plot of chinatown <laughs> <laughs> it is oh my god wait i've never realized that i just read it I in my head i'm like wait a minute I read up and there was like, no, it's not a coincidence. Chinatown was supposed to be a trilogy. Oh. And they just recast one of the, for the freeway for who framed Roger Rabbit. But that's what's amazing about rewatches. You're just love like, it. wait a minute. I love that. <laughs> um, something, so who framed Roger Rabbit is really famous for like their animation has these great shadows in the real world. The lighting in this film was phenomenal too and that's weird to say about like an animated film but the lighting was spot on in every scene and uh like from when they're in the war bunker with the uh, fireflies all around them and this this it leads into my review four and a half stars why do fireflies have to die so soon yep that was rough (laughs) and i think that's another like if you're gonna sum up the line in one movie that kind of that kind of feels uh pretty good too actually um i got one more four star review uh the reviewer Wood writes, in case you're looking for a movie about children starving to death but can only stomach it in cute animation form, boy, do I have a film for you. Uh, Talking uh, about a pitching a, a sales pitch for, for yeah. like rough things. Oh, my God. This movie is is part of a rare pantheon of movies of like all time sad movies that I have seen that I, that I instantly connect with other people that have seen mm. them. Um, so my other two all time sad movie wrecks. Yeah, maybe it's just one. the th- The third one I haven't watched. I've only seen once, but my second one is Dear Zachary. God damn, it, I did it again with the it. fucking camera. <laughs> Dear I Zachary, know. I knew you were gonna say that. Me and Evan, another oh. thing we watched together that I think we were in a room full of people and we like all eight of us were sobbing like together. There is a documentary. It's from 1981. Let me look up the creator. I found it when I went through like a youtube uh like i wanted to see what movies were uh available on youtube mm-hmm. and there's a japanese documentary from 1981 by yuki yukute shingun or that's the name that's okay. the name What's it's it about director um, kazuo hara it's called the emperor's naked army marches on and it's a centers on Kenzo Okuzaki, a 62-year-old veteran of Japan's campaign in New Guinea in the Second World War, and follows him around as he searches out those responsible for the unexplained deaths of two soldiers in his unit. Oh. Documentary filmmaker Errol Morris listed it as one of his top five favorite films for Rotten Tomatoes, and it does 
go into the undying loyalty of well, Japan during World War II and what harm that yields for people. Interesting. I'm going to have to check that out now that I'm in the mood. It's right. on the Criterion channel if you're oh, looking for it. You should, you should oh, perfect. Watch it. Yeah, the Criterion channel, just where I was going to go after this. So... <laughs> Let me I, just switch out Steven Universe yes. first. <laughs> let me uh, I, let me make this easy. I got my rating. It's five out of five. Yeah, definitely five out of five. Uh, Mads, no you don't need to keep. Don't let peer pressure. If it's not, don't 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 succumb. What's how many stars yeah, you give it? It. It's a good movie. It's good. Uh, five. Yeah. Okay. Good. <laughs> This is uh, this is I guess why I was like excited to talk about it with uh, with y'all because I knew we would come to a conclusion of like this is just fantastic all around. So that concludes our review of Grave of the Fireflies. Um, you want to wrap it up with some news here? Yeah, uh, as with our last episode, since writers and actors are still on strike, we're going to be sharing just some headlines we read about uh, the strike going on first. Uh, I think it's 50 VFX animators at mm. Marvel have are, are organizing to unionize um, in a year where good uh, Marvel's caught a lot of flack for their rushed uh, and overworked VFX artists. They could step in the right direction. Like I said at the top of the episode, 100 days in uh, on the we writer's strike. that fully. South Korean actors are also trying to uh, negotiate for better pay from Netflix specifically. Netflix, uh, Netflix specifically, if found out, does not pay South Korean uh, actors uh, the same that they do their U.S. actors uh, by and, a large margin. And the company refuses to meet with their union. After NBC Universal uh, Studio blocked the pavement outside their studio to prevent people from striking, thousands gathered outside in the largest uh, display of the picket line in the entire WGA uh, SAG uh, strike that is happening. So, you know... You shitty studios, you're going to push back. People are, they're going to push back too. So I love to see it. Once again, just fully support here. And that's why uh, we're trying to keep our content away from the struct companies. Uh, to go into Soviet nation. Yeah. Do you yeah. have any recommendations? I mean, honestly, we're yeah. we're open directs. We're going episode uh, by episode. Yeah. <laughs> we're flying by the seat of our pants uh, at the moment. <laughs> we had a whole schedule, kind of threw it out. <laughs> What's this? again uh his name is yuri norstein he's a fantastic i actually Soviet feel like i've heard that name before what yeah, what so. all right we'll check it out we'll check it we appreciate it hey this has been a lot of fun i think uh does anyone have i i'm i'm good on news you have any more news i don't like talking about how shitty these fucking companies are if i'm being honest one last like hodgepodge of headlines is like some of these companies are indicating that they want to come back to the tables but at the same time, you also have Warner Brothers Discovery bragging on their earnings call that keeping writers and actors on strike has saved them more than $100 million. So outrageous. All that shit. Uh, what a shitty uh, thing to that do. That ain't right. Yeah, that's fucked up. So like, on the one hand, they're like, oh, we can't negotiate, but they're bragging on their uh, earnings call, which is just shitty altogether all around. Um, entertainmentcommunityfund.org if you would like to donate to uh, striking writers and actors uh, you can find information about the WGA strike at wgacontracts2023.org I hope I'm getting that right I'll have it in the show notes and then uh, information about the SAG after strike at sagafterstrike.org as well Madeline Horwath thank you so much for joining so us 
uh, great, to talk about this monumental film. Yeah. Uh, good friend of mine for many years. Um, where can our listeners find you online? Find me on x.com and Instagram. <laughs> that might be the first time we've said it on the podcast. You may have the honor of that. I hate that so much. Mm-hmm. Madeline is a very funny cartoonist. Uh, we recently did a cartoon together, a daily cartoon oh. a couple of days ago. Bestowed one of their very funny jokes and let me draw it, and it was, and it was awesome. Oh, whoa. I couldn't have done it without you. It was a team effort. That's too kind. That's too kind. It was. <laughs> it was. It was Two fun. brains are better than one. It's also a lot of fun just splitting up the work. It makes cartooning a lot, <laughs> a lot Evan's more like, fun. I love the drawing, but I suck at ideas. <laughs> well, I also, there's, I mean... There's, I like your style. I think it works like 50 style with like aliens and stuff. It just like it, it mm. works. Alex, want to close this out? Yes. Thank you all for being here. Uh, if you enjoyed this episode and want more Two Dudes, please check out our other episodes on Apple, Spotify, and also on YouTube. Uh, please don't forget to follow us on YouTube. Uh, hit the sub. Uh, you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Two Dudes Watch Cartoons. And please rate and review wherever you're leaving this podcast. Um, you know, five stars or nothing else. If it's lower <laughs> than a five, don't even bother because we all left fives today. It's uh, it's it's a it's a leave a five star reviewed kind of day. This podcast is as good as Grave yeah. of the Fireflies. Exactly, the same <laughs> amount of stars are deserved. Podcast of Fireflies. That's right. <laughs> yes, and uh, as always, just thank you for being uh, here with us and. Uh, you know, uh, we'll catch you next time. You stole my I goodbye. Stole oh my I god, stole you fucking it. asshole. All right, goodbye. I knew, <laughs> I knew you were going to keep going. Oh boy. That was great.